All right. Good morning, everyone. So as the uh, outlines are going out, I'm sure some of you might be thinking, didn't we just hear this guy a couple weeks ago? And he's going to talk about covenants again, isn't he? Uh, This morning, though, I will not be speaking on that. I'll be speaking about another topic that is uh, near and dear to my heart, and that is the the Heidelberg Catechism and its author, Zacharias Ursinus. And so the, uh, the confessions and catechisms that were birthed from the Reformation uh, hold a special place in the heart and mind of a Reformed believer. From the familiar opening question to us all of the Westminster's Catechism, what is the chief and highest end of man? And of course, it's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Uh, another one of my personal favorite lines is from Article 17 of the Belgic Confession which states that though man had plunged himself into both physical and spiritual death and made himself completely miserable, God set out to find him. These different historical documents have been of great comfort in the lives of believers down through the church since their uh, birth in the Reformation. And if you were to ask what is one of the greatest lines that has come out of the Reformation, I believe that few come close to the treasured line, what is your only comfort in life and in death? I know for myself, and I'm sure for many of you, uh, simply hearing this opening question from the Heidelberg Catechism brings a flood of emotion in knowing that as believers, we belong both in body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, when I first began to purchase uh, books on Reformed writings, Uh, and from different authors. Uh, My first first purchase was actually two small pocket-sized books uh, from the Puritan paperback series by Banner of Truth Publishing. And I I brought them here this morning. And these two books were the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Heidelberg Catechism. And I actually bought the Heidelberg Catechism because the website suggested it. I knew nothing about it. I went to the website to get the Westminster Confession, and as I was checking out their website, you know, the suggestion box popped up and said, hey, buy this too. So I said, okay, I'll get it. But I knew nothing about the catechism itself. I knew nothing about the author uh, and why he wrote it. Uh, And so when it came in the mail, uh, I remember being excited, and I I tore open the plastic wrapping to this little leather-colored book And I opened to the first question, and for the first time I read, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And for the next half hour, I was in awe of how this little book pointed to and brought comfort in knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior, and that I belonged to Him. I immediately bought two more copies and put one in my middle console of my car, and the other in my lunchbox so that I could constantly be absorbing this little book. Uh, And and while this is still an enormous blessing in my life, uh, I've come to have a deeper appreciation for it in becoming familiar with the author. A lot of the time, uh, we use the names of these great theologians from the Reformation, men like uh, Calvin or Luther or Augustine or Rutherford, um, and we know the name, but we might not know the face, or we might not know the story behind these men. We know the doctrine they herald, but that's as far as it goes. And for the Heidelberg Catechism, that was 
it was the same for me with that. I knew nothing about these men besides the doctrine they heralded. heralded. I read and reread this little book, um, but I knew nothing about the name Zacharias or Sinus. It wasn't until a year later that I actually discovered who the author was. But even then, I had no clue who he was. No understanding as to why he wrote what is considered a timeless work that has blessed so many people down through the church. And so this morning, I want us to look at this man, who for some of us may just be a faceless name uh, uh, connected to the Heidelberg Catechism. But I hope by the end of this lesson, we will have accomplished two things. The first being that we would have a greater appreciation for and a better understanding of this great theologian from the Reformation. And the second, and I believe of the utmost importance, is that we ourselves would be encouraged, just as our sinus, that, we, uh, that our comfort in life and in death is only found in Christ. Our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, as the Catechism says. And so let us set the stage this morning, the historical stage, for learning about this man. Uh, Zacharias Ursinus, born on July 18th in 1534 in the city of Breslau, which would be considered modern-day Poland. Uh, Zacharias Ursinus entered into a world that was already greatly influenced by the first-generation reformers. Roughly 17 years before his birth in 1517, Martin Luther had famously nailed his 95 Thesis to the castle church door in Wittenberg. The Augsburg Confession was written in 1530, with the main author being a man who would later become a teacher, mentor, and friend of Ursinus, and that being Philip Melanchthon. In 1534, the year of Ursinus's birth, Luther's own German translation of the Bible, both Old and New Testament, and the Apocrypha, was printed in Wittenberg. Uh, also that year, a group of Anabaptists seized the city of Munster and declared it to be the New Jerusalem due to their leader prophesying that Christ was going to return that very year. Uh, This group began to exile dissenters and forcibly baptize everyone else who chose to stay. And just an interesting footnote, two of them, that I think is important about this event. Uh, One, Christ did not return. Just thought you all should know that. And uh, two, the leader of this group Uh, actually was uh, killed on Easter Sunday. I'm sure there's something about false prophecy and the consequences there, but moving on. Uh, Also in 1534, uh, King Henry VIII would decree the Act of Supremacy, which separated the Church of England from the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. Also, the Act of Submission of the Clergy was confirmed by Parliament. And this required that um, clergymen had to submit to the king any ecclesiastical laws before they were published, and the king would either approve or disapprove of them. Another interesting footnote, just to place us in the historical setting, the following year in 1535, John Calvin would publish uh, the first edition of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And so we, we see that Ursinus was born in a time where the work of the first generation reformers was already well established within the church and moving toward further reformation for the remainder of the 16th century and into the 17th. 
And so with regard to his family, uh, Ursinus' original last name was Bear, B-A-E-R. He changed his name later uh, to Ursinus in Latin, which means little bear. And it's kind of funny because he was a large man, and so it was a joke for him. I am little bear. Uh, They lived in the city of Breslau, like we said, modern-day Poland, uh, and his family was considered lower-to-middle-class people. Zacharias' father, Casper, was a tutor to children of families that were prominent within the city. His skill as a tutor and connections with these families uh, gained him access to uh, an education, a proper education for his son, Zacharias. Casper also became an assistant to Ambrosius Moabin, who was one of the reformers of Breslau and the minister of St. Elizabeth Church. With regard to Zacharias' mother, Anna, what little information is known about her uh, helps us gain a better understanding as to um, what Zacharias, his father, and his sister went through as a family. In 1542, when Zacharias was seven or eight years old, uh, a plague struck the city and killed 15% of the population. And Anna is believed to have been among that 15% that died from the plague. But whether her death was from the plague or from something else, her death in 1542 struck a hard blow to their little family. The now widowed Casper and his two children moved into Anna's mother's house. Casper, who already struggled with poor health, uh, now became depressed and began to deal with poverty. Eleven years later, in 1553, death again became a painful reality to this little family when another plague struck the city and Anna's mother also died. Zacharias, who was now at school in Wittenberg, wrote that the death of his grandmother was a catastrophe to his father and his sister because, as he says, it, um, it removed any refuge whatsoever for them. The painful loss of Casper's wife and his mother-in-law only drove him deeper into misery and grief. Zacharias described his father in his later years as old, unhappy, and longing for the heavenly life. Casper's desire to depart from this world and to be with the Lord would be answered in the spring of 1555. And Zacharias, still at school in Wittenberg, wished that he would have been able to be present at his father's death but he knew that it was better for his father to depart from this world and to enter into glory. And so we see here, just from these few examples, sickness, death, and misery were constant companions to Ursinus and the people of the 16th century. Ursinus himself would be plagued for the majority of his life with physical health, with poor physical health. In 1554, a year before his father's death, when he was at Wittenberg, He actually became so ill that he had to leave the city to go to the mountains to recover. In his later years, uh, Ursinus, when he was a professor, his failing health was one of the primary reasons as to why he did not participate in theological debates of the day. Sickness, death, and misery may be one of the primary reasons why he begins the Heidelberg Catechism in focusing on the one thing that a person desires most 
when faced with these painful realities, and that being comfort. But the comfort that Ursinus speaks about in the Heidelberg Catechism is not what most people would consider comforting. While most people would attempt to uh, immediately encourage someone and lift them up out of their despair or their trial and tribulation, Ursinus seems to go in the complete opposite direction. And he does as if it were hold up a mirror to the person and says, look at your own sin and misery. In the second question of the catechism, it's there in your outline, it asks, how many things are necessary for you to know that you in this comfort may live and die happily? So you're kind of, okay, here's the encouragement. Here it comes. Three things. First, the greatness of my sin and misery. <laughs> many would object and say that this is the opposite of encouraging. Uh, how does knowing the greatness of my sin and misery bring me comfort? And this objection is correct. Because knowing the greatness of our own sin, of our own unrighteousness, of our own depravity, and of our own misery, in light of a perfect, holy, and righteous God, should drive us to despair. And cry out as Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in 6.5, Woe is me, cursed am I, for I am lost, and I am a man of unclean lips. And like Paul, when he cries out in Romans 7.24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In his commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, or on his larger catechism, that was written in 1562, Ursinus says that a knowledge of our misery is necessary for our comfort. Not that it in of itself administers any consolation because it rather alarms us than comforts us. But it is necessary. He says there in his larger catechism, this knowledge excites in us the desire of deliverance. Just as a knowledge of disease awakens a desire of medicine on the part of the sick. Where there is no knowledge of our misery, there is no deliverance sought. Just as the man who is ignorant of his disease never inquires after the physician. Therefore, it is necessary for our consolation as a motive, for in itself it terrifies. Yet this terror is advantageous when it leads to the exercise faith. If we do not understand our own sin and misery, we cannot know how great a deliverance and salvation we have in Christ. The way Ursinus writes on this speaks to the great influence that the writings and teachings of other reformers during his time, uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and Philip Melanchthon, the great influence that they had on him. In Luther's own titled Lectures on Galatians, published in 1535, seems to be a great inspiration to Ursinus with regard to this recognition of our sin and misery and how it is excited or aroused and strengthened by faith. Luther says, This is a very important and pleasant comfort with which to bring wonderful encouragement to minds afflicted and disturbed with a sense of sin. Thus, in the midst of fears and of a consciousness of sin, my hope, that is, my feeling of hope, is aroused and strengthened by faith. 
And so while Luther's writings and teachings were of great influence on Ursinus, Philip Melanchthon would be an even greater influence on this young man. So back to 1550, at age 16, Ursinus traveled to Wittenberg to be a student under the teaching of Philip Melanchthon. It was there that Melanchthon took notice of this uh, devout young man who was committed to his studies and to examining the truth within God's Word. Over the course of the next seven years, Ursinus and Melanchthon would not only be student and teacher, but they would be brothers who would encourage and strengthen each other in Christ. During that time, Ursinus would witness firsthand the attacks of fellow Lutherans uh, against Melanchthon. Uh, And the reason being for this is because Melanchthon held to a lot of what John Calvin was teaching and preaching and writing at the time. And the verbal attacks against Melanchthon's beliefs, and even against his own character, uh, greatly discouraged Ursinus. And this would actually play a key role in his later departure from Lutheranism and embracing of the Reformed faith. And so in 1557, Ursinus, now 23, traveled with Melanchthon to a conference in Worms, Germany. And from this conference, uh, he began a year-long journey to different reformers throughout the world. Uh, He traveled to Heidelberg, Strasbourg, Geneva, Zurich, and several other cities uh, where these great reformers were at work. Ursinus met with John Calvin and actually received a signed set of some of Calvin's works as a gift. I can be jealous. <laughs> uh, lastly, Ursinus traveled to Zurich, Switzerland, uh, where he studied the writings and teachings of Henry Bollinger and Peter Martyr. In the fall of 1558, Ursinus's hometown of Breslau requested that he return and begin teaching at St. Elizabeth's School, where his father had once been the assistant to Ambrosius Moven and where Ursinus had begun his education. And so the once young student returned as a 24-year-old teacher. And in this time, Ursinus began uh, to go through Philip Melanchthon's catechism in short, concise statements uh, that we can read today. It is known as Ursinus's Thesis of 1558. But this teaching, of course, uh, was not accepted by the Lutherans. Uh, within the city. And the difficult reality of Ursinus's now reformed convictions and confession would be the turning point in his life. In 1560, death, sickness, and misery were once again the all-too-familiar and constant companion in the life of Ursinus. His beloved teacher, mentor, and brother in Christ, Philip Melanchthon, died at the age of 63. And Ursinus, who was now experiencing incredibly poor health at this time, was also now facing uh, growing attacks, uh, growing pressure from the Lutherans in Breslau for quietly teaching the writings of the Reformed faith that were written by Philip Melanchthon. And so, in desiring to not be drugged into controversy uh, with the Lutherans and debates that would cost him physical uh, it cost his physical health and mental health. Uh, Ursinus finished the school year 
and then resigned from teaching at St. Elizabeth's School. Desiring peace and time for studying and writing, Ursinus traveled to Switzerland to live with the Swiss reformers. In a letter to a close friend, Ursinus writes, I am well content to leave my country when it will not tolerate the confession of truth, which I cannot in good conscience give up. If my excellent teacher Philip were still alive, I would go to him. But since he is dead, my mind is made up to travel to the Swiss reformers. They are pious, learned, great men in whose company I am inclined henceforth to spend my life. Ursinus arrived in Switzerland, Zurich, Switzerland, on October 3rd in 1560. And in Zurich, he spent much of his time studying the different writings and teachings of Peter Martyr, along with some of the other great reformers in Switzerland. And it seems as though where Philip Melanchthon had laid the foundation for Asinus' reforming theology, uh, the teachings and writings of Peter Martyr and these other men seem to build upon it and strengthen Asinus' reforming beliefs. Uh, but this place that he desired so much to be in, to live at peace for the remainder of his life, this would last less than a year. Now 26, Ursinus would begin a new journey in being called back to Germany by Frederick III. Frederick III, who would later become known as Frederick the Pious, had become the leader of the land surrounding the city of Heidelberg. Frederick longed to see reformation in his land, and he desired to fill the pulpits with the best and brightest Reformed theologians of the day uh, and have them shepherd the churches of, England, uh, churches of Germany. He also desired a catechism to be written that would be simple, personal, and comforting for people from all walks of life. And so Frederick requested several men come to Heidelberg to help him with this endeavor. The first was a young pastor named Caspar Olivianus. Uh, Frederick and Olivianus actually knew each other uh, personally from a previous uh, tragic family accident. Uh, Olivianus had attempted to save the life of Frederick's son, Herman, uh, who drowned in a drunken boating accident. And this tragic, this tragic experience actually changed Olivianus' desire from going to school to be a lawyer going to seminary to become a pastor who could share with people the only true comfort that is found in Christ. Years later, after becoming a pastor, Levianus was imprisoned by the Roman Catholic Church for preaching the Reformed faith and for preaching against the errors of Roman Catholicism. Frederick heard about his imprisonment, purchased his freedom, and requested that he become the theological professor of Holy Ghost Church in, Whit- uh, in Heidelberg. The 24-year-old Olivianus agreed and traveled there. The other man that Frederick requested uh, was actually the Swiss reformer Peter Martyr. And while Martyr was honored by this request, he believed he was too old to begin a new work in another country. And so he actually recommended the young Ursinus to take his place. Ursinus would accept this and travel to Heidelberg in September of 1561. Together, Frederick, Ursinus, and Olivianus, these men would begin the work 
of writing this new catechism that would plainly communicate the heart of the gospel to men, women, and children who desperately needed to know the only true comfort that God alone can provide. And while Frederick and Olivianus uh, are both understood to have contributed to the writing of the Heidelberg Catechism, Ursinus is rightly understood to be the main contributor to it. In 1562, uh, Ursinus actually produced a major catechism and a minor catechism, which the Heidelberg Catechism would be based upon the following year in 1563. And in the third question of his minor or smaller catechism, this is uh, the Heidelberg Catechism bases its second question upon this. And so we looked at the first part, and now I want to examine this. Ursinus says in his smaller catechism, What does God's word teach? First, it shows us our misery. We address that. Second, how we are set free from it. And third, what thanks must be given to God for this deliverance. And so as we already examined previously in his commentary, Ursinus stresses the importance of a knowledge of our sin and misery and its necessity for our comfort. Necessity for our comfort. The reason being because, as he said, it excites, terrifies, and alarms in us a knowledge of our great need of deliverance and salvation. This knowledge of our sin and misery leads us to a knowledge of how we are set free from it. Or, as the Heidelberg Catechism states, how I am delivered from all my sin and misery. And by this knowledge, we are led led to live and die happily in the comfort of knowing how great a deliverance we have through our mediator, Jesus Christ. But from where do we know this comfort of this great deliverance and mediator? The Heidelberg Catechism answers this in question 19 by stating that we know we have this knowledge from the Holy Gospel which God himself first revealed in paradise, afterwards proclaimed by the holy patriarchs and prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law, and finally fulfilled by his well-beloved son. Ursinus' response to how we are delivered from our sin and misery rests upon what Paul declares in Romans 3, 21-25, when he says... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. So how are we delivered from our sin and misery? By His blood. To be received by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, through Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. This is how David can cry out in knowing his own sin and misery and where his deliverance and salvation comes from. When he says, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. 
I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Ursina says again in his commentary, a knowledge of our deliverance, what it is, what manner, and by whom it is effected and bestowed is necessarily required that we may enjoy true and solid comfort. This knowledge is obtained from the gospel and heard as heard, read, and apprehended by faith because it alone promises deliverance to those that believe in Christ. So these three men, Frederick, Olivianus, and Ursinus, their desire in writing this new catechism was to journey through three foundational themes. Sin, salvation, and service. We've examined the first two of sin and misery, deliverance and salvation. This final theme of service is one that all three of these men faithfully lived out for the remainder of their lives. They knew their sin, they knew their salvation, and they knew the service that Christ, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, by the power of His Spirit, would make them wholeheartedly willing and ready henceforth to live unto Him. Upon completing the writings of this, of this new catechism and having several different ministers and teachers examine it, the Heidelberg Catechism was printed in 1563 and immediately brought comfort to men and women and children who needed to hear of the only true comfort that God alone provides. And in God's providence, when it was published in 1563 and brought comfort to these people, the following year in 1654, sickness, death, and misery once again took center stage in Heidelberg as another plague struck the land. But these three men continued to faithfully live lives of service to God, the God of their comfort. Frederick, who saw his citizens dying, did his best to keep the churches open so that the people could hear the gospel preached. Levionis continued to preach to his congregation about the God of comfort. And Ursinus actually wrote and published a small work titled Preparation for Death to bring further comfort to those facing it. And I would encourage you read that one. Very, very good. Once the plague began to lessen, uh, the attacks and objections increased, mainly from Lutherans, but also from Roman Catholics. The objection to this little catechism. In 1566, Frederick traveled to Augsburg to defend himself and this new writing. At the Diet of Augsburg, also known as uh, Frederick earned his title, Frederick the Pious, in his defense of the precious truths contained inside of what came to be known as this little book of comfort. These three men knew that God alone was their only true comfort in life and in death. And so they lived the rest of their lives in that comfort. Frederick the Pious would die in 1776. Ursinus in 1583, and Casper in 1587. And these three men that came to Heidelberg knew that they were not their own. That the lives they lived were not their own. And that the catechism that they wrote was not their own. 
but was a treasured comfort to all those who belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I was thinking about if we were to ask our sinus what he desired every believer to, uh, to do when they read his little book of comfort, I believe that Ursinus would tell us something similar to the sign that hung over his door to his study when he was a professor. The sign read, Friend who enters here, be short or go or help me with my work. Ursinus knew that every believer who through the power of the Holy Spirit has received a knowledge of their sin and misery. He also, they have also received a knowledge of their deliverance and salvation in Jesus Christ. And this knowledge should lead all of us to gratitude and thanksgiving for our salvation. And therefore live a life of joyful service to the God of our comfort. May the same be said and seen in us today. So in closing, Ursinus may still be a faceless name to many who read the Heidelberg Catechism. But I hope that this morning we have gained a a better understanding of and a greater appreciation for this theologian from the Reformation and one of his greatest works, the Heidelberg Catechism. So very briefly, I, I want to close our time this morning with two thoughts. One, If you haven't read the Heidelberg Catechism or it's been a while, read it. Either purchase a physical book. I think this was $3 at the time when I bought it. Um, Banner of Truth Publishing. Uh, You can download it. Download the app onto your device. Read it on a website. Listen to it on Spotify or YouTube. We are without excuse as to listening to this little book. Um, do not let as Kevin DeYoung says we should not let this book be forgotten in a, a book that he wrote on the Heidelberg Catechism he says the chief theological task now facing the western church is not to reinvent or to be relevant but to remember we must remember the old old story We must remember the faith once delivered to the saints. We must remember the truths that spark reformation, revival, and regeneration. And because we want to remember all these, we also must remember, if we are fortunate enough to have ever heard them in the first place, our creeds, confessions, and catechisms. And so if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to. Number two. Know your sin and misery. Know how great a deliverance and salvation is found in Christ. Know and live a life of service that rejoices in the salvation that is graciously yours. Through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and eternal reign of our Savior Jesus Christ. As the Catechism says in answer 86, because Christ having redeemed us by His blood, renews us also by His Holy Spirit after His own image, that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for His blessings, and that He may be glorified through us. When faced with sickness, 
death and misery, remember that you are not your own. You belong both in body and soul, in life and in death, to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our only true comfort. Let us pray. Our almighty God of comfort, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to you in prayer. When faced with trial and tribulation, sickness, misery, and death, we are often a stubborn people that first seek comfort in everything else and then remember that your word says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so we ask that your spirit would cause all of us to live in this comfort that only you provide. We thank you that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, and that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We also thank you that even in death, your spirit causes us to long for the day of resurrection when we will reign with you forevermore. We also thank you for Ursinus for writing this little book of comfort that has blessed so many people down through the church. And now I ask that you would bless the rest of your Lord's Day, bless the preaching of your word, bless our elders and deacons as your people gather together to worship you. I ask all these things in the name of your Son, through the power of your Spirit, to your gracious name alone. Amen.